And had you told me in the early 90s when I was volunteering at Rollins College Radio Station, WPRK, and playing the Gish album Ad Nauseum, I mean, like, over and over and over, had you told me that one day I'd be working at a quote-unquote job where they are going to pay me an okay salary to talk to a guy who I consider to be a musical genius, I don't know that I would have believed it, John. Well, he's here. I don't believe it. Of the most important albums of my life, the first two releases by Smashing Pumpkins, both Gish and Siamese Dream, are transcendent in that they immediately take me back to where I was when I was listening to them a lot in the 90s. They're still mainstays of my musical diet, and those albums would not exist if not for the talents, the drive, and one could even say the tortured childhood of one William Patrick Corgan, and now he joins us on the phone. Hi, Billy. That's quite an intro. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's what I do. Uh, it's all downhill from here. Thanks a lot for making time for us, man. Yeah, happy to talk to you. Thanks, uh, thanks for the kind words. Now, no problem. I mean them all, and there are many of more of those to come, so get your uh, get your raincoat ready. It's going to get messy in here. Um, but, but before we start off, I just need to ask you, what ratio would you like NWA versus Smashing Pumpkins talk? Because you're in a rare situation in that my compadre over there, John Senning, huge wrestling mark, but was not around for the, the genesis of Smashing Pumpkins like I was. Me, I like wrestling, but I'm certainly not on the level of John. Uh, would you like an 80-20 mix of NWA versus Smashing Pumpkins? Is 60-40 okay? 55-45? What do you prefer, Billy? I think 50-50 works. Oh, man. Oh, God. That's, that's, that's a blend that we can certainly deal with. Then, John, uh, because I'm a gracious host, I will let you start with a wrestling question for Billy Corgan, head of the NWA. Well, Billy, first and foremost, you know, when it comes to the NWA, for those that might not know, we're talking about one of the most, you know, well-known brands in the history of professional wrestling. When you think of those famous clips of Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, those all took place within the confines of the NWA. Uh, for those that don't know, how does Billy Corgan, legendary rocker, end up the man behind uh, NWA modern day? Well, that's, uh, that's a long story, but the quick version of the story is I started working in the Indies about 10 years ago, just as kind of a lark. Then through that, I ended up working for TNA Wrestling, now Impact Wrestling. And then I thought I was out of the business after that, and then I found out the NWA was for sale, and it was just too tempting to pass up. So about five years ago, I bought the NWA, and it brought it back to where you know people have started taking it seriously again. Um, because even though it started in 1948 and it's the oldest running uh, wrestling brand in the world, you know, it had some hard times there, to quote Dusty. And uh, so we're happy to bring it back. And to bring it back to Florida, especially Tampa, is, is a big thrill for us. You know, Billy, it's it's interesting to hear Drew talk about so much the music, and you're obviously an artist in so many ways, still writing music and performing music. How would you compare the creative outlet of music to professional wrestling? Do they fulfill you in the same kind of way or just completely different aspects of your life at this point? Totally different because at least with the pumpkins, I feel, you know, I, if, if I can't get other people to do what I need them to do, I can do it myself, you know, um, which, you know, always caused a bit of a problem in the band here and there. With wrestling, I have to really rely on, on, the, on the great professional wrestlers to, to execute in the ring. 
So it's a different uh, sort of responsibility. Uh, I do enjoy it a lot, and it certainly asks a lot of me in a different way. Um, but in terms of having total control, it's very much a music thing. Uh, along that same line of questioning, Billy, are you able to kind of use experiences that you had in the record industry as talent now as a way to kind of treat talent and nurture talent and foster talent because of maybe the lack of humanity that you experienced with Smashing Pumpkins when it came to record labels? Yeah, absolutely. I, I talk to wrestling talents all the time, and I I try to remind them. Look, I know I know how you feel. I know you you look at the guy standing up there, the guy behind the glass who doesn't really understand what you're going through. I, I even though I'm not a wrestler, I understand the sort of the insecurity that comes with the gig, and so we try to sort of bridge that gap as best we can with the NWA. And through that, we've got a really good rep with how we deal with talent, and I think that's why a lot of talents like to come and work for the NWA because they really feel heard. And they really feel that their creative uh, spirit is sort of honored. And, you know, most wrestlers are huge wrestling fans. They, they got into it because they wanted to express themselves in a particular way. And so I think we give them that opportunity. We're speaking with Billy Corgan, head of the NWA, and they'll film uh, three shows in Tampa coming up, a pay-per-view event on February 11th and YouTube episodes over the next couple of days after that. I'm going to take you back to your days in St. Petersburg, Florida, where our studios happen to be, Billy. And following your career, if I'm not mistaken, you're in a different band uh, that that broke up in Chicago, and then you went down to St. Petersburg. Did you find anything within yourself while you were in St. Pete that kind of helped you maybe write Gish or or at least contributed to some of the DNA or some of the things that were floating around in your brain when it came to forming Smashing Pumpkins? Oh, very much so. No, actually, the, the, the real story is there was a band we had from Chicago called The Marked, and uh, it, was three, it was a trio. And so we moved to Florida and ended up living with a witch in St. Petersburg. That's a true story. And, um, and uh, that band was trying to put together kind of like a lot of the music that was coming out of the UK, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure and stuff like that, yeah. kind of together with heavy metal. So it was very much the sort of early days of what became the Smashing Pumpkins blueprint. I wasn't very successful in that group, but doing that, but that's sort of what set up the whole thing that happened later. When you mentioned The Cure and Susie and stuff like that, you're speaking to my, my adolescence, and I know that you were kind of the same way in that Black Sabbath kind of drew you into the metal world, but then you discovered another side of you through Bauhaus and The Cure and whatnot, and I think maybe that's what drew so many of us to Smashing Pumpkins was kind of that melding of metal sounds with an alternative and postmodern new wave ideology does that make any sense at all yeah no that's actually very accurate and it was when we kind of landed on that way of expressing ourselves that the people just seemed to start coming out of the woodwork to come and see us i mean we went from playing to 100 people to 800 people overnight um, once we figured out what you would identify as the pumpkin sound it wasn't sort of conscious it just kind of happened when you I, and I've done uh, through the years my due diligence in preparing for this moment when I get to speak to you by watching you on Joe Rogan and hearing you on Stern, et cetera, and and I hear in you the fractured personal relationships that you had with Darcy, with James, with Jimmy, et cetera. When you look back at it now, is there anything you think you could have done at the time to maybe? keep it all together uh, for a couple more albums or do you just chalk it up to this is who I was at the time. 
the music we were making was so intense and so great, but personally, we had just reached an impasse and we couldn't even part in an amicable way. It had to blow up the way that it did. Or are you able to go, man, I coulda, shoulda, woulda done this a little bit differently? No, I think we absolutely should have done it differently, but that, that responsibility falls on all four of us. I don't think, and I don't want to speak for them, but I, my sense is I don't think any one of us of the original four really understood what we created. We didn't understand how it would last, and we didn't understand how sort of curating what we created, even if it meant taking a few years off and just going and doing something else to come back to it, would have been far preferable. And I think when you see bands that have done that, Tool comes to mind you know, where they kept themselves intact, even if they took time apart and did other things. I think that's very much what we should have done, but it just didn't work out that way. And of course, that's part of the story of the band. We are talking to Billy Corgan. Yes, that Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins. Now the man behind the National Wrestling Alliance. Check him out at nationalwrestlingalliance.com. Big pay-per-view, Nuff Said, February 11th at the Egypt Shrine Center in Tampa. And two recordings of their show, Power, February 12th and February 13th. You can get tickets at the website. Uh, Billy, you know, when it comes to the NWA and how you look at furthering this legacy, how much pressure do you feel in, you know, keeping it nostalgic? You know, you've You've created so much of the imagery of the old school studio shows. How do you find that balance of wanting it to be old school and look old school while trying to inject it with some new ideas and a new vision? Um, actually, I'm, I'm not that into the old school aspect of it. I mean, I like it. I think it's kind of fun. Um, but that's really not where the company's headed. I think people have sort of glommed onto that in a way that maybe misrepresents what the brand is after. Part of the way we, we film television is we just keep it simple because we can't afford to buy a bunch of stuff. And the way I look at it is is it's it's a bunch of lights or it's a bunch of better talent. So I've always deferred to having better talent and putting on better shows. Um, it's very much a DIY kind of punk rock approach, right? You know, it's like, who cares about the lights swinging over your head if, if what you got on stage is very, very strong. So that's very much our mentality. Now, we're very much a 21st century company, and I think people are going to be surprised when we do put those pieces together here in the next few years, how actually 21st century the NWA is, is, has become. Uh, what would you say some of the goals for NWA are in the not-so-distant future? Is, is the long-term goal to get a big TV deal? Would you like to be you know, mentioned in the conversation with AEW and WWE? Or do you kind of like that, that indie, you know, more intimate setting when it comes to taping and, and getting in front of an audience? No, we're very much built to be a mainstream television product, and um, that's, the, that's the point of the whole exercise. I think I can bring the NWA back up to top prominence. And so navigating all the stuff that you need to do, whether it's the financing, uh, television deals, uh, and, of course, the marketing and media that goes with it. But uh, no, I think it's there to be had. And I think you see uh, the way Tony Khan has kind of stormed the castle uh, and, and pitted himself against WWE and everything that's going on with WWE about whether or not they're going to be sold. I think there's tremendous opportunities for other people to step up into the into the bigger conversation. So will it happen tomorrow? No, but um, it will certainly happen here in the next few years. We're speaking with Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins and NWA. And when it comes to wrestling, a lot of us, you and me, I think, Billy, we were we were fans when we were younger. You had the whole rock and wrestling connection with Cindy Lauper and Captain Lou Albano and WrestleMania's one and two. And then you kind of lose interest for a while. When you got back into it, I read 
that a lot of people in the music industry were kind of, especially in the alternative genre, the most cynical genre of music ever, probably looked down their nose a little bit and were like, oh my God, you can't be seriously into that, which would make a guy like you and a guy like me go, now I'm going balls deep in this. Like I'm into this even more because you don't think I should be into this. Is there a surrendering of cynicism in a way that goes with the embracing of wrestling, Billy? Yeah, I think that's the whole point. I think um, when when alternative music gets to be like high school, you know, like, you know, I used to joke like Kurt was the quarterback. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you get to this weird thing, like who's on whose team and are you a goth? Or are you a cheerleader and stuff like that? I find that stuff really, really boring. And so when people sort of try to tell me how to live my life, it's the same thing. That's I'm an alternative artist for a reason. I mean, I have a different view on the world. And at the end of the day, I just want to have a good time. Um, and, you know, I, I love playing with the band. I love making music. But at some point, I had to find other outlets for my for my self-interest that didn't have to do with who I was in music. Because, you know, you can only get stopped in the airport 10,000 times to be the rat in the cage guy. You know what I mean? At some point, you, 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 it's like Pete Townsend of The Who once said to me, I wish I was just Pete Townsend and not Pete Townsend of The Who, right? Wow. And I, I understood what he meant. You know, there's a point where you just want to be your own guy, right? So, uh, the, you know, buying the NWA sort of afforded me the opportunity to build myself in a completely different business where who I am in the world is a celebrity. It does matter, but not really, and particularly it doesn't matter much to the wrestlers. They want to know if they're working for a company that has a future. Who I am in the world doesn't really have much to do with that. Yeah, and it's now two of my alternative rock heroes that have been involved with wrestling you. And when I found out that Bob Mould had written storylines for WWE, Bob Mould of Husker Du and Sugar, one of the most overlooked bands in the entire history of rock and roll, in my opinion, uh, it kind of blew my mind a little bit because you don't imagine that the dude from Husker Du and, and from Sugar is going to be that into wrestling, but it shows us you were all different people with all different interests, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think we're into this world now where I think most people are pretty accepting that, you know, everyone's got a little bit of a side hustle, right? <laughs> so if the NWA is my side hustle, you know, I have a tea house, too, in Chicago, so I got a couple <laughs> side hustles. But, look, life, life is short. You know, life should be fun. And um, it's a great challenge to take on uh, running a professional wrestling company. I mean, I didn't go to school for it. You know what I mean? I had to learn by watching wrestling, by talking to wrestlers, by working in the business. And, you know, at some point you start to earn some credibility and people are willing to work for you because they like what you're doing, you know, and that's, that's a cool accomplishment. And that's something I'm, I'm just as proud of as anything I've accomplished with the band. Yeah, I'm sorry to retrace, but you said you have a tea house in Chicago. Uh, next time we visit up there, what is the name of this tea house and what's your specialty? It's a, really? Yeah, it's Madame Zuzu's. We're a, we're a plant-based uh, tea house. Uh, we're in Highland Park, Illinois, which is unfortunately where the mass shooting happened this summer on July 4th. Um, my tea house was about a block away from that, that horrible um, incident. So um, that's up where I live in Chicago, and I've had the tea house on and off for about eight years. We had another location. Now we have a much bigger location. We have shows there, and we do all sorts of things, whether Santa, Santa shows up for Christmas. So it's lots of fun and uh, re really healthy and probably one of the best uh, vegan restaurants in America. Oh, hell yeah. I'm embracing a plant-based lifestyle as we speak. I'm going on a couple of months now, so that sounds tailor-made for a guy like me, Billy. John? We are talking sure. to, we are talking to Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins, also the man who runs NWA, the National Wrestling Alliance. Check out NWATIX.com to check out all the events they've got coming to Tampa. Uh, Billy, kind of a multi-part question uh, about 
Tyrus. Uh, you recently put the NWA title on Tyrus. Uh, this is a man who has had a run in the WWE, was successful in Impact, and a lot of people might know him because he pops up on Fox News a lot lately. Um, kind of, if you can take us through your thoughts on Tyrus as a talent, why you think he deserves to have that belt, and secondly, maybe the response from the internet and how you hold uh, the internet wrestling community when it comes to uh, you know regard. Um, well, with the Tyrus question, you know, we started working together when we were both at TNA. And here's a man, you know, 6'8", 375 pounds. Um, you know, in the in the traditional aspect of the wrestling business, companies were built around the biggest guy in the room, whether it was Andre the Giant or, you know, uh, Ernie Ladd. So um, for me, the fact that TNA wrestling was not built around someone like Tyrus, particularly of his uh, verbal ability, not just his wrestling ability, I thought that was a crime. So he's come to work for the NWA. He's done everything I've ever asked of him. He's been a great partner to the NWA. And don't forget, he's, he's promoted the uh, NWA on Gutfeld's show, you know, four times a week to over 2 million people yeah. a night wearing the belt. He was, he was the television champion and now he's the world's heavyweight champion. So he's been an absolute pleasure to work with. And, uh, you know, as far as the wrestling sort of, you know, end of the equation, the fan uh, end of the equation, look, wrestling is, is built on controversy. It's built on heat. It's built on people agreeing and disagreeing. Um, but I do not book a wrestling company based on what the Internet fans think. You know, I, I and, and listen, you know enough about my musical life to know I have not run my band that way either. So uh, I'm the wrong person to sort of be bullied or be told how to how to run my wrestling company. I'm just going to run it the way I want. And if, if, you know, you look at the most successful people in the history of the wrestling business, they did exactly the same. You have to follow your instincts here. You cannot let the crowd book your show. And you and I mean I mean that on a rock and roll stage, and I mean that on a on a, in a wrestling ring. Billy, when we uh, go back to kind of the period between Gish and Siamese Dream, I consider one of the uh, Smashing Pumpkins' greatest songs to be "Drown." And I've always been curious as to how it ended up on the soundtrack to the brilliant Cameron Crowe film "Singles" rather than one of those two albums. Can you give me some insight there from your perspective? Yeah, actually, it involves Chris Cornell of uh, Soundgarden fame. Oh. Um, we uh, Chris had seen us very early on play, and when they were looking for music for the uh, singles film, he recommended to us. So they, uh, Cameron Crowe and uh, company reached out to us and said, hey, we're thinking about maybe putting you on this soundtrack, even though you're not from Seattle. Uh, do you have any songs? And, and at the time, we only had one song, which would have ended up on Siamese, which was Drowned. So we sent them that. They liked that song, and they... They gave us a budget, and we went back in the studio. Uh, we had one aborted attempt, actually, at Lenny Kravitz's studio in New Jersey at the time. That didn't go very well. <laughs> and I think we ended up recording it at Smart Studios uh, maybe six months later or something like that. And it ended up in the movie. Um, it was very successful. It was probably our first real successful song at radio. Yeah. And um, so that kind of really broke broke it open for us. Man, and what a song. Like the last, uh, the feedback at the end of that song, almost Thurston Moore-esque, uh, just a, a beautiful uh, epic song, in my opinion. One more music-related question that I'm going to rely on, maybe insight that you don't have, I don't know. Uh, as a fan of alternative slash indie rock and roll, I loved Pavement, but I never quite understood why Stephen Malkmus felt the need to take a shot at your band on the song Range Life. It's always not bothered me to the point where I'm going to go march on him or anything, but it always kind of bummed me out because I liked both bands and I could never understand why lyrically he chose to take a shot at, at a band that I also really liked. Did you, did you piss him off in a bar or something? Never really met him. Didn't know him. Uh, 
I thought when I first heard the song, I thought, oh, it's kind of a kind of a funny joke. It's not a joke that I wouldn't have made in reverse. Uh, I certainly liked the band, didn't have a problem with the band, had hung out with members of the band. So where that came from, uh, wasn't really sure. Then it turned into kind of a weird, like, ah, he's dissing you, ha, 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 funny indie thing. Yeah. Um, and then it would go away, and I would think, okay, you know, let's all grow up and move on. And then he would come to Chicago and get up on stage and do some speech about me and then play the song. What the hell? Um, well, <laughs> listen, it's not the first time that people have been obsessed with me <laughs> that I don't know. And uh, and let's just put it this way. Through the years, I've let it be known if he wants to come and talk to me, I'm more than happy to talk to him. But don't be surprised if he gets a punch in the nose because where I come from, you know, you don't call somebody out on the carpet without expecting a response. Um, and so that's when I've just never really understood. I mean, it's simple to say, you know, jealousy or something like that, but honestly, I never really understood my personal feeling about it is, is he, he made it, he made a joke that he thought was funny. His friends thought were funny and it turned into a thing. And rather than just let it be a thing and move on, he just couldn't let it go because he realized, I think deep down that he'd done something that he shouldn't have done. So, you know, in, in, classic cognitive dissonance he has to blame the victim not the perpetrator which was him you know i never did anything to the guy never said anything to the guy uh you can't point to anything that i said before that where i was making fun of the band or so basically i didn't pick a fight he picked the fight right. and i think he just doesn't know how to finish it so why he remained obsessed 20 years later on stage in chicago you tell me i have no clue <laughs> i certainly can't john Sunny, what do you have for our new friend billy corgan check out nwatix.com and get tickets to one of these many shows the nuff said pay-per-view at the egypt shrine center we've got uh nwa power being filmed on february 12th and 13th get your tickets at nwatix.com Dot com. Uh, Billy, I kind of want to pick your mind when it comes to pro wrestling and the live element. You obviously do the pay-per-views, and I know that you did the first Power Live uh, at the uh, at the end of, or I'm sorry, you will be doing it at the end of January. Uh, for a viewer, the live element feeds in so much to what makes pro wrestling great. Do you feel the same way when you're behind the scenes booking a show? Do you like the unpredictability of a live setting, or do you, do you prefer kind of the old-school studio-taped version of NB- NWA? No, I love live. I think live is the best way to do wrestling. It's just, it doesn't always work in terms of economics, particularly if you've got 60 people at a building ready to wrestle and you have to crank out, you know, eight to 12 weeks of television, you know? So I wish I could afford always to do it live, but um, unfortunately just not the case. So that's why we're finally doing the first live power because we want to start taking advantage of that atmosphere because it does put extra electricity into the program. And then uh, just one last thing of interest, uh, you know, you had a, uh, when AEW was, was kind of getting its feet underneath it, uh, you guys seem to have a really good uh, relationship. I know that the NWA women's title was even defended on their TV. Is that just, uh, is that done and gone? Or do you see a potential relationship with AEW firing back up and having any uh, substance? I don't know. You know, Tony's a, Tony's a curious person, you know, um, he can run her hot and cold depending on what he wants from people. Um, you know, I, I don't have any particular issue with Tony. I think he's uh, done a lot of good things for wrestling, but as far as a business person, you know, he's got a lot of cards to play right now and, and I don't think I have anything he wants. So, uh, you know, the phone has him to ring and let's put it that way. Billy, do you think that what you went through as a kid and an adolescent was vital to you becoming what you have musically, or do you think that it was in you to succeed, even if you had had a normal, traditional, nurturing upbringing? 
You know, that's a question I've asked myself about a thousand times. Um, my father used to say, you know, it's good you had a hard childhood because it made you a better rock star. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is kind of a funny thing if you think about it. But I don't know if that's such a good thing because I got little kids. You know, my kids are four and seven. And I don't necessarily want to put them through a hard life to make a better rock star. You know? <laughs> so um, uh, let me put it this way. Um, you know, everybody's dealt a hand. And, uh, and I was lucky in that I had talent. And it, it took weird circumstances to figure out I had that talent. My father, being a musician, didn't want me to play. And I had to really fight through that. And then I, you know, when I first started playing with the Pumpkins in Chicago, we met the indifference of the local Chicago indie community because they didn't understand what we were doing. It was too heavy. It was too weird. It was too this. It was too that. They didn't like my voice. All the music that you love, you know, like all that Gish music, they were plugging up their ears back in 1990 in Chicago, the indie community. And then when we started playing around the world, you know, whether it was Tokyo or London or New York or Los Angeles, and we started meeting the critical intelligentsia of those, those places, you know, um, you know, I'm reminded of something that Tony Iommi, a Black Sabbath, once told me. He said, you know, when we used to come down from Birmingham to London, we got treated like, you know, you know, you know what? And that shocked me. And I'm talking to Tony Iommi, you know, an absolute legend, my my guitar hero. So I think sometimes it has to do with where you're from and what you've been through. But ultimately, the good part of that is if you got enough in you, you got enough sort of metal, M-E-T-T-L-E, in you to sort of persevere, then I think it becomes part of your identity. Um, I don't necessarily like being the guy with the chip on his shoulder. You know, I, I would have liked to have an easier go of it. But I think there's something sort of beautiful that after 30 years, the Pumpkins, you know, still headlining arenas and festivals, because I think what we built together, um, that, that sort of fighting back kind of spirit in us is part of what people like in us. And I think that's something that, that keeps us connected to people, the same type of people that we grew up with. We all grew up kind of basically lower middle class. You know, none of us were from any kind of privilege. So whatever that connects on that level, I think that's, that's beautiful. So it's nothing I sort of regret, but it's, I certainly wish it'd gone a little easier. I get that completely. John, what you got for Billy before we let him go? Billy is a man who has a vision for professional wrestling in the future, not to get too controversial, but it's been all over the news in the year. 2023 is the world of professional wrestling better or worse off with Vince McMahon in it. Ooh, I don't know if I can answer that question. You know what I mean? Um, no, because I think, I think what's difficult about that is that, you know, we don't live in a world where you can, uh, you can nuance any question. You, everything is sort of like one or the other, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of what's gone on with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in transparency. So I believe, you know, the WWE fans of the world and the corporate interests of the world, they have to make determinations of whether or not they want to support the product based on what's happened that we know and, and that has been transparently put out there. Um, that's that's hard to say, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you know you, we've seen a lot of things in, in recent times where people get canceled, and I'm not a big fan of that. I, but I, I, am, I am fine with people making up their own minds, you know, as a consumer or in business based on their own precepts about how they want to do business. My only thing that I always say is as long as those things are applied evenly and transparently, then, then that's fine. Um, you know, so I would love to talk about the, the positives, but you can't talk about the positive these days without talking about the negative. So I just choose not to really talk about it at all. True to true that. Wow. I tell you, we put him in the squared circle, John, and you are the animal to my hawk. And uh, and Billy held his own against the Legion of Doom over here. And I got to say, Billy, I've enjoyed it tremendously. I uh, have been so impressed with you through the years as a fan and to be able to speak with you 
uh, today is such an honor. If you are in the Tampa area doing some filming and, and you find yourself with an hour to spare in the afternoon, we'd certainly love to have you in the studio to talk. Bring tires by. <laughs> that sounds good. We'll try to arrange that. And I appreciate you guys supporting today. I, I will be there for the Tampa shows and the tapings, and I look forward to coming back to that community. I mean, my roots go back to that community, 1985. Wow, so. man. It's grown a little bit, and traffic <laughs> has gotten significantly worse. Uh, but Well, uh, put it, let me put it this way, and I, I hope you're not going to some hard break and I'm talking over no, anything. No, 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 not at all. Where where that stadium is, the, the Tampa Bay, uh, uh, the, the Rays Stadium, yeah. is about a block away from where, where from I used to sleep on the floor with roaches. So oh. <laughs> um, trust me, I've come a long way, too, like St. Pete has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from living with a witch yeah. and uh, and seeing shapeshifters, which Billy claims oh, to have seen. Well, you, you can't, we got we to gotta see what's up with that before. I, I don't know if you got a heart out, Billy. Shapeshifters, <laughs> we're, we're very uh, paranormal friendly here. It's true. Well... You know, the shapeshifter thing, it's taken on a life of its own, and uh, I've never really talked about it. That's the funny thing. I, I, only, I only intimated that I saw something, and it's taken on its life of its own, and trust me, it's one of those things that I get asked about in airports. So, <laughs> <laughs> In airport, people are, hey, ain't you that Smashing Pumpkins guy? Man, what's up with you seeing a shapeshifter, Baldy? Yeah, it's the, it's the rat in the cage guy who saw a shapeshifter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're much more than that to us, and, and again, I Thank appreciate you. the time. Thanks for being so so accommodating and good luck with the NWA. You seem like you're doing something that you really love doing. And, uh, and I love people that can't be pigeonholed. You're definitely one of those Billy Corgan. And thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Absolutely. You will. Bye-bye. That was good. What a great phone connection. Yeah, And you want to know what's messed up is I walked over here very angry and scared because he came up and he was, it was terrible. And I said, I said, can we do something different with the phone? He said, I'm in a, a space with not bad, with no good connection.